But I went, I read through all of them, and I blame you for making me cry this morning. Yes. Oh dear Christ, that was. I I was unprepared for uh, that that ending. You're listening to Just One of the Guys, where we've got 99 problems, and Skype is certainly one. If you haven't got problems, I feel bad for you, son. I got 99 problems and a bitch ain't one. Hello and welcome to another episode of Just One of the Guys, a Green Lantern podcast, hosted by the Two True Freaks website at twotruefreaks.com, a member of the DeMonza Corps family of podcasts. I have to say that at the beginning of every show now because DeMonzo bought me up. Hello and welcome everyone, my name is Sean Ingle, and today we're going to be covering our requisite two issues of comics, starting with Green Lantern number 70, where we get some changes for Green Lantern. Some kind of difficult changes, as Kyle's going through a little bit of a problem with uh, Donna. Unfortunately, the problem was kind of brought on by himself, because he decided to bring a naked girl to his apartment and draw her. Well, Donna entered the building with a former Green Lantern... John Stewart. Then, of course, we get Guy Gardner and Guy Gardner 39, which, honestly, is going to be an issue so that we're probably going to tear up about. It's Christmas at the Warriors Bar, and everyone's there again. So, like issue 29, where it was a snapshot of the DC Universe around 1995, we get a snapshot of DC of the DC Universe around 1996. And this time out, it's still pretty blood-packed, but we've separated the wheat from the chaff, basically. But, uh... Like I said, it's going to be pretty weepy because Guy actually gets in touch with his father, who's dead. Want to know how that happens? Well, stay tuned. But to join me for this episode, after a co-host of Palooza Month, I'm back in the saddle with one of my favorite people to podcast with. He is the host of Better in the Dark with his good friend, Derek Ferguson. He's also the host of DJ Comics Cavalcade, and he is the author of the website, uh, Damn Your Eyes, Damn Your Ears, and he is soon to be the author of New Roads to Hell, The Shadow Legion, Book One. Ladies and gentlemen, my very good friend and semi-regular co-host, Mr. Thomas DJ. Hey, Thomas, how's it going? Uh, you know, I got 99 problems, Sean, but, you know... Uh... <laughs> uh, and Donna's that's what this, this is kind of the theme of this episode, isn't it? Yes, yes it is. Uh, there are there are a lot of problems that uh, Kyle's going through, and uh, it's a it's a very it's a very soap opery episode, especially dealing with uh, dealing with Donna and Kyle. But I bet we'll get to that uh, after we take this little break and play the prerequisite promos for some podcasts that I know you'll enjoy. So after that, we'll get into our coverage of Green Lantern number seventy. Why, hello there, lovely ladies. May I just say that you look quite beautiful in your matching Slave Leia metal bikinis. You have permission to come aboard my den of nerd erotica. Some people would call it my mom's garage. I call it 10.1 forward. Can I interest you in a death stick? Nope. I was just kidding. Have a shot of trying once you get loosened up, we can play a friendly game of Strip Fizzbin. Let me loosen that strap. Hey suckers, Maury Clawhammer here, okay? You want your freaking Star Wars? I got your Star Wars right here! What about the Star Trek? You like that shit too, right? Right? That's what I thought. Well, we got that and we got more freaking comics than you can read in your entire miserable goddamn life. 
Hey, there's even a girl who talks about unicorns and goddamn Harry Potter and M... 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 Them goddamn Oriental cartoons with the big eyes. So you get your ass over to the Two True Freaks podcast at twotruefreaks.com. All right? All right? Good. You can get there on the internet and choose from hundreds of quality Two True Freaks podcasts. And would it kill you to buy a goddamn t-shirt? Remember, Two True Freaks. Two True Freaks. Two True Freaks. Two True Freaks. The Bronze Age of Comics. An era largely ignored as far as Superman goes and an era that some consider to still be part of the Silver Age. Sure, a lot of people know about the Kryptonite Nevermore storyline, where all the Kryptonite on Earth is turned to iron and Clark Kent goes from a newspaper reporter to a TV reporter. Then there are the Alan Moore stories, for the man who has everything and whatever happens to the man of tomorrow. But in an era that lasted 15 years, surely there's more to the Bronze Age than that, right? Well, my name is Charlie Niemeyer, and every other week, I shine the spotlight on this long-overlooked era of Superman in the Bronze Age. Featuring such stories as the return of Jonathan Kent, two meetings with the Amazing Spider-Man, the Phantom Zone miniseries, the enlarging of Krypton, and more. Plus, J. David Weider also joins in to take a look at Superboy's Bronze Age adventures. So join in the fun at www.supermanandthebronzeage.com and www.supermanpodcastnetwork.com. And we are back. So, uh, no preamble this time out. I'm ready to just head on in to Green Lantern number 70, which was cover dated January 1996, released on November 21st, 1995. Thank you to Mike's Amazing World of DC Comics, or Mike's Amazing World of Comics now. The cover price is $1.75 US and 250 Canada. 250 Canada. Sorry, UK, no price for you. I guess you don't get this issue. Huh? Huh? There you go. Thanks, DC. Title was... Leyland's. <laughs> I'm, cer- I'm certain uh, Andy and Michael are just frothing at the mouth that they can't find this issue anywhere. <laughs> no, they're not. Uh, the title was Changes for Green Lantern. Writer was Ron Mars. Penciler, Paul Pelletier. Anchor, Romeo Tangal. Colorist, Linda Medley. Letterer, Albert Guzman. Associate Editor, Eddie Briganza. And Editor, Kevin Dooley. The story opens with Green Lantern John Stewart flying across the what? Why is John Stewart Green Lantern? What the hell? Oh, oh, I'm sorry. That That don't look like what's on the cover. (laughs) It's only an image of John that showing that he's showing to fellow Dark Star Donna Troy as they travel to the apartment of the last Green Lantern, Kyle Rayner. John reminisces about his time as Lantern, and now his heading up the Dark Stars, and wonders if Kyle would really want to see all this stuff. Donna mentions that Kyle knows about why he is doing the Green Lantern thing, but not so much on the how to do it, and maybe a visit from John will help him out. We cut to Kyle's apartment, where the young hero is doing some sketching of an unseen figure while relating a tale of his former love, Alex, and him getting lost in the woods. The scene's cut between Donna and John climbing the stairs to the apartment, and Kyle making sure the model he's sketching is comfortable in the pose. Reaching the door... Donna tells John that initially there was some responsibility and trust issues between the two of them, but that's all over now. However, upon opening the door and seeing the model that Kyle was sketching was apartment mate Allison, who is a model, and also completely nude, the whole trust and responsibility thing goes right out the window. 
furious, Donna asks what the hell is going on as Allison makes a hasty and overly sultry exit. Trying to defuse the situation, Kyle asks who the guest is and Donna angrily introduces John to Kyle. Sensing the t- tension and a quick compliment about Kyle's costume, John beats a hurried retreat, leaving the quarreling duo to themselves. The argument goes pretty much as, as one would expect, with Donna accusing Kyle of infidelity and Kyle trying to defend himself by saying he wouldn't be so upset if the roles were re- reversed. Shedding her jacket and headband, Donna asks Kyle why she isn't enough for him. Kyle says she's good enough for him and asks for a breather between the two before they start saying something that they'll regret. Donna plays the responsibility card, and Kyle admits that he should have told her about the sketch he was doing, but he replies that he's really matured since he got the ring. Donna disagrees, citing his blasé attitude with the Titans and her. She said that Kyle is fine when she's around, but irresponsible when she isn't. Finally, she mentions that she doesn't want to be the girlfriend of a high-maintenance guy, that she's not going to be Alex. Realizing her mistake, Donna tries to explain, but Kyle's had enough. He rings up his costume, saying that he's taken enough grief from her and promptly exits the building. Heading up to the roof, Kyle meets up with John, and the two have a discussion about women and the job of being Green Lantern. But the discussion gets cut short as a berserker, a former denizen of the Mosaic world on Oa, has made his way to Earth to show his displeasure with the outcome of the Mosaic. Kyle intervenes with a ring construct web wrap around the berserker's hand, which leads to one of the shortest bouts of Big Fightenstein in the series history. Isn't it more like a McFight? <laughs> yes, it's a McFight. It's not even a McFight, it's a Mick, pretty much. Which I guess is Irish, so that's fighting as well. Mini crisis averted, Kyle and John talk. They talk about successes and failures, loves lost and friends lost, and the responsibility of being a Green Lantern. After the night is worn on, Kyle tells John that he has to find some answers to his questions. He has to make his own path. Telling the youthful Lantern that he'll call a Dark Star cruiser to pick up the captive, John tells the departing Kyle that if he wants to be a hero, he'll find his way. And that does it for issue 70 of Green Lantern. This one was this. I'm amazed with how written, well written the story was, and how many layers there actually are in the story. But it's it's amazing how there's uh, the story being written by Mars that's intercutting the actual story that's going on with this uh, parallel story about Kyle and Alex getting lost in the woods, and it's it really all works well together. It's a, right. a testament to Mars as a writer, uh, not to not to take anything away from artist here but the writing is amazing and um i also want to mention that i'm kind of reminded of andy and michael's coverage over at uh hey kids comics about civil war mm-hmm. when they complain that mark miller wrote a story where you're supposed to see both sides of the story where you both see captain america's view on the whole civil war thing and tony stark's view on it mm-hmm. and how it miserably failed because yeah because Stark might as well have started twirling his mustache. Yeah, it, it turned into basically Stark was automatically made out to be a bad guy. Here in this story, we've got a better writer in Mars who's giving you both sides of the story. And throughout the entire story, you can look at either side and go, well, 
they got something right here, but you're never completely one-sided feeling like Donna is right or Kyle is right. And I think that's a testament to Mars as a writer and what he's able to do with the story is that you're not you're not coming down on one side of the person. Both both sides have their positives of their argument and have their negatives of it. So a, a testament to Mars here. Although I will say that I think that Donna's behavior is a little crazy. No, it is very it is very angsty 90s girlfriend and it yeah. is pretty over the top. But you I mean, to... it, it kind of ties in with that because uh, the uh, what you were saying about the uh, siege of Zay Sharam. Oh my mm-hmm. gosh! Every time I think of that, a brain cell dies. <laughs> uh, um, remember, I got re- I had to read all of those issues. I'm sorry, being a Titans fan must have not been fun around this. Era. It wasn't fun at that time. Um, but yeah, there, there are these moments when Ron somehow, whenever it's time to put tension in the relationship, Mars somehow makes Donna regress. Yeah. And that's disappointing because it's not, it seems really out of character. I mean, Donna has been written as a very strong, capable female, but over the course of this run, Donna in the Green Lantern book has been whiny she's been kind of bitchy she's extremely just, needy yeah uh, she i understand her character is going through a divorce at the time and uh going through all these things and dealing with kyle granted not being the most responsible person but trying to grow into his responsibility is got to be a bit troubling for her but this kind of outburst is just it doesn't become her and it doesn't become especially a when you give it into the, the, you take into account the fact that Donna is supposed to be older than Kyle is, mm-hmm. and has such, it's almost like when the time comes for tension, he's writing her as if she's Kyle's peer, that they're both like the same age emotionally and mentally. Yeah, and that whereas in the Titans and elsewhere, Donna has always been the fairly level-headed one. Except, of course, during the times when she was, like, possessed by a space god or something stupid like that. Oh, dear Lord. Yeah. <laughs> is, this part I, the, is this part of the Wolfman run that you shied me away from? Uh, yeah, this is no, this is actually Total Chaos, which oh, okay. is um, close to that time. But, yeah, it's, it's pretty bad. Okay. Well, if you want to go through the issue... Um... Starting out on page one, I I like again Pelletier's art. John John looks a little different than the way he did in the earlier run. He his face is drawn a different way, but he still looks good in this in this uh, on this page. I'm uh, enjoying it. It is kind of a fake out because you open the front page and it's obviously a Kyle Rayner, or you open the or you've got the cover and it's obviously a Kyle Rayner book, and you get yeah. John Stewart flying around and. If you know what John Stewart's doing, he's now with the Dark Stars, so it's kind of a fake out here to get the front page. Let's see. Pelletier draws a foxy ass Donna Troy. She is, and the thing is, he draws her. It's it's nice to see the transition because here right. she's just kind of, uh, she's not really made up. She's not mm-hmm. really uh, sort of baba boom sexy. She's got her hair tied back. She's got a yeah. jacket on. You can see she's got a kind of low cut blouse. Mm-hmm. But it's uh, it's nothing. I always assumed that was one of those kind of like dancer tops. Yeah, 
but uh she's she does she is very 90s she's got the sort of choker necklace on but um it's she's really Pelletier has a really nice style that it's very derived from like the Paul Smith kind of animation style of the Mm -hmm. 80s oh yeah a lot of open lines a lot of uh you know he picks and chooses where to put his details but I think it's it's very fitting it, it, it's it's also really good when it comes for a story like this, which let's, with the exception of the big bruiser guy at the end, is basically a relationship drama. Mm-hmm. There is very little uh, of the typical fight scenes that we'd see in, uh, you know, for instance, the Bo Smith run of Guy Gardner. This is all pretty much dialogue and pretty much relationship stuff. So yeah, we're getting that. Uh, moving on to page three. Where we get Ralph Macchio. I'm sorry. I, <laughs> he looks uh, awfully young. Yes, he does. And I think looks, the fact I think the fact that he's got the the sort of backwards baseball cap and yeah. the rolled up pants and the very oversized shirt that's sort of hanging down the the sort of V neck shirt yeah. that's kind of hanging down. He does look he does look very much like a very bohemian artist character. Yeah. Plus, also on that page, I don't know what the heck he's thinking. But he has this giant Green Lantern ring on his yes. finger, and I don't know how anyone could not see that, how anyone could miss that. And I'm I'm wondering if Allison actually knows because because in the previous issue, uh, Kyle rescued uh, all the denizens in the apartment from this fight that happened with Purgatory, the the guy who Kyle gave. Ring the first of a series of one appearances by that character. Yeah. Well, the you know, the whole Underworld Unleashed story was great. Some of the characters who came out of it were almost the level of Bloodlines characters. Not quite as bad, but yeah, some of them really made actually no mark in the DC. You know, Michael Bailey and I talked at length about Underworlds Unleashed in a two-part episode of Views, and Go check they were... It out. Yes, yeah, so check it out. And there are a number, just like we're going to be doing Acts of Vengeance at the end of this summer. God help us. <laughs> um, and we bemoaned the fact that there were certain redesigns, because that was the whole thing that Underworld's Leash was supposed to be. It was supposed to be a redesign experiment for a, a whole slew of their villains. And there were a couple I think they actually devalued because of the redesign. But that's just me. Let's not speak of Purgatory again. Yeah, I think I think he pretty much went away. At, well, uh, in fact, at the end of this book, he pretty much goes away, as you can tell. But uh, yeah, the the fact that he's got the lantern ring there just shocks the hell out of me that no one knows. And in the previous issue, you know, he was rescuing her, and of course, she was standing I out. Think Radu and, figures it out too because we're coming up on the dragon story, aren't we? Yeah. So I'm pretty sure he knows. I think everybody in this this freaking apartment building knows. Well, you know, it's kind of apparent when you know the apartment building comes under attack, and the first person who's there to rescue it is Green Lantern. Yes, and there are all these flashes of green light coming out of Kyle's window from mm-hmm. time to time. Yeah, yeah, it's it's kind of hard not to notice. There's some nice interplay and nice intercutting of. Uh, Kyle doing the sketch and Donna, you know, meeting some of the denizens of the apartment, especially talking to Radu, who is one of my favorite characters in this book. Uh, he's such 
he's such a fun character and he's uh, a character that I think will sort of grow into the series. And I'm looking forward to getting back into that and looking how the character develops and how his relationship with Cal develops. So uh, it's really fun. But we uh, get to the splash page on page five and we have realized that the proverbial shit has hit the fan as uh, Cal's sketching a very attractive nude model. And it's, it's tastefully done here. Uh, mm-hmm. She's uh, shown from the rear. There's really no overt nudity. There's a bit of a butt shot, but there's not really even any boobage. Or no, anything. there isn't even a there isn't even butt crack. No, I mean it's it's it's, it's just obvious that this is naked nudity nudity. Mm-hmm. But it's none of the naughty bits are exposed. Yeah. So uh, kudos again to Pelletier, and it's the way it's colored as well. It's uh, she's. Uh, colored blue on the page so it's kind of like she's in shadow so it it's a nice way to sort of diffuse the fact that there's nudity in the book but still have it there and yeah donna's image on the on the inset panel there is is uh truly pissed off and here's where we get into the uh here's where we get into I the say, I say one more thing about this flash mm-hmm. uh pelletier really composes it correctly Oh, yeah. I mean, the way that the figures are kind of surrounding the blue halo that is Allison there. Mm-hmm. Just, I think it's just, it's, it's a, just a very nice composition. Very balanced. Well, and I didn't notice this up at the top as well. You've got the sort of speed lines coming up. Yeah. It's the sort of shocked look of everyone around here as, uh, as the three characters walk in on this and all have their own reactions to what's going on. So, And you'll notice also... Three different uh, emphases with the mm-hmm. O's. Yes, you know Kyle's being like, "Uh oh, I should have said something," and John like, "Uh oh, naked white woman," and Donna <laughs> like, "I'm going to rip your genitals off." And so. you're talking about someone who has the strength of the Amazon, so mm-hmm. uh, that's that's not looking good for a naked Kyle's girl in my whoopie apartment. How can that be? Mm-hmm. And let's see, moving on to the next page, we get a little bit more cheesecake here with uh, mm-hmm. with Allison taking Kyle's uh, shirt and walking away from it, which is, uh, I guess, sort of eerily reminiscent of Alex from uh, early episodes. Uh, like uh, that issue, I think it was 52, where we see her, it might even be 51, where we see her in uh, Kyle's apartment in his, right. uh, or in, uh, maybe in his uh, shirt. So, But yeah, she doesn't really do anything to diffuse the situation with her sort of uh, cutesy bye thing. Mm-hmm. I think she she's definitely a uh, she's a manipulator, or I don't know how you She's in her. position to get her some color. Mm-hmm. And, and again, uh, Pelletier here drawing the sort of reaction shots of Kyle face palming here mm-hmm. at the bottom of page six while Donna just <laughs> completely goes off on him. You know, it's uh, the one thing that uh, Pelletier is able to get is uh, expressions on the characters and the the look of the eyes and the sort of look of their faces. Of it's really the way I would imagine someone would look if this sort of situation was going on to her. Uh, Donna looks infuriated, but Kyle is like, "Look, it wasn't anything at all." So, uh, awesome work for him here. Now, moving on to page seven, we get the introduction of John and Kyle, which is which is nice because we've had the introduction of Guy and Kyle, but we've had the professional meeting between uh, 
Kyle and Guy, and we'll see here in a little while. Kyle the actual, and John. Okay, well, we've got the prof- we've got the personal meeting between Kyle and John here, but we've had a professional right. meeting between Kyle and Guy previous in the uh, Capital Punishment storyline, mm-hmm. and oddly enough, coming up here pretty soon, we'll get the personal meeting of uh, Kyle and Guy here in the next issue of Guy Gardner. But it's nice to see them. You know, coming together because I don't think Kyle had ever met John prior to this. So this is nice to see them uh, at least developing, a, a, you know, their first meeting. And it's interesting to see how their relationship will develop after this. I, I love the, the one panel when they're about to shake and you've got them framing Donna looking looking off, being all grumpy. Mm-hmm. And of course, you know, the the comment, John Stewart, current Dark Star and former Green Lantern, yes. Kyle Rayner, current Green Lantern and former boyfriend. Yes. She is uh, none too happy. And, of course, it, you know, Kyle blows it off and, you know, does the friendly handshake and mm-hmm. says hi to John. It's awesome. And and then next page, John's like, you know, this is white people bullshit. <laughs> I don't need this. I am gone. So... John knows when it's time to beat a hasty exit. And I uh, I love on that bottom panel on page eight, you yes. know, just him standing by the door is like, oh, white people's problems. I don't need this. <laughs> I mean, it always, it always looks looks to me like he's relieved. <laughs> yeah, well, him him sort of leaning out in that panel above it, and, you know, the door is yeah. like, uh, I'm just going to be outside. You guys work this out. You know, this is one of those things like I can't get out of here fast enough. Mm hmm. Moving on, you know, like I said, there's just some really great artwork of the expressions. Like on the next page, mm-hmm. we get Kyle again face palming with both his hands and the right. sort of, uh, I don't know what you'd call it. The, after the we sh- get pouty face, after we get pouty, I'm about to cry lip mm-hmm. Donna. Well, and again, you know, he's he's really got their facial characteristics mm-hmm. down, you know, showing how. And in the same panel, we've got Kyle's sort of shocked look at, you know how she can be so upset about this. And then, uh, you know, later on the, pa- later on the page, we get the, uh, ring construct roses, which mm-hmm. comedically wilt. wilt because Donna's not taking that. And, uh, you know, the, the little circle inset panel of the, you know, what me worry type look of Kyle. Yes. You know, it's, it's, it's really just, amazing artwork and really capturing the sort of feel of a, of a young couple in the nineties. So, uh, again, kudos to Pelletier. I wish he would be, uh, more present on this book. And you know, it, 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 uh, makes me actually want to pick up some of the Aquaman stuff because I guess Pelletier is doing, uh, Aquaman, Aquaman over it at, at DC and the new stuff. So you'll make Shag happy. Well, uh, anyway, I can, comment and give shag a little shout out you know it, it makes sure that he'll eventually come back on the who true freak show and not be insane uh we get the cheesecake shot for donna <laughs> on the next page mm-hmm. she's like you you, you want to see sultry i'm freaking wonder girl okay yeah. <laughs> i can show you i i was sultry before this woman was even born so, and again, it shows that she's gone from the sort of, you know, frumpy, just uh, coming in to talk to Kyle look to where she's very ba ba boom. She just has to yeah. take off the scarf and drop the jacket and 
yeah, she's ready for a sketch, I guess, if, it, if she had to be. And, uh, you know, the, the relationship stuff is just really, it, it, it really works. They capture the idea of a young couple who's having problems, who's trying to deal with it. And I think throughout all of this, Kyle is trying to be really reasonable until until the fact that, uh, well, moving on to page 12, that Kyle drops the whole thing about saying, I, you don't need to go all Oprah on me, mm-hmm. which, you know, is it's 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 a really it's the one part where I was like, OK, Kyle, that's a really stupid thing to say, because most right. of the time here and maybe it's because, you know, I'm male. Well, most people would say uh, that I, I kind of agree with Kyle. I mean, he wasn't doing anything really lurid. I mean, it wasn't like he was you know, tapping that. Yeah. But yeah, uh, this wasn't, you know, Kyle is an artist. You've got to kind of expect that he's sketched nudes before. And but- I think also the fact that we saw like a whole page of him just having this very innocent conversation with mm-hmm. and, and as it- he's sketching it. I think that kind of slightly tips the scales for the reader in Kyle's favor. Yeah, if if he were like sitting there drooling and going, "Oh, right, this is this is the most amazing art piece of artwork I've mm-hmm. ever done. I can't believe I'm getting to do this." No, it was just another, uh, it was just another sketch for him. So it does, it does kind of lead you to side with Kyle in the whole, you know, who's right and who's wrong. Like I said at the beginning, you know, you can see both sides here, but you do kind of file fall in the Kyle camp that, you know, he wasn't the most in the wrong. And to be fair, when we get to the page 12 and, when we, and Donna starts bringing up the, the Titans, even this crappy version of the Titans, mm-hmm. we see him kind of at the beginning of him acting a little bit insensitive mm-hmm. because, of course, the thing is that the Titans were Donna's family, have always been Donna's family. Mm-hmm. So obviously she feels a much bigger connection to it than Kyle does, and Kyle's is kind of denigrated. Oh, yeah, so I don't show up for those stupid training sessions. Well, and that's the thing that we kind of get from Kyle, uh, is that Kyle sees the Titans as a job, while yeah. Donna sees uh, the Titans as a family. So there's they're coming at it from different uh, angles. And mm-hmm. you know, with Donna... The fact that Kyle isn't taking the Titans seriously, it upsets her more, while Kyle is just saying, well, it's just a bunch of people that I have to go save the world with. I don't have any relationship to these people. In fact, you know, I think he probably has a lot of, not hatred, but sort of disdain for, like, characters of impulse and that. So, you know, it's it's one of those things where the, the He's relationships... He's primarily for Donna. Mm-hmm. And, you know... It, it's like the equivalent, let's say, if uh, if I was in a relationship, going to weepy relationship movies with my girlfriend, right? Oh, yeah. Because it's, it's something that I don't enjoy, but my girlfriend enjoys it, so I'm going to put up with it. Mm-hmm. No, I, I, I understand that. There, there, are these, there are these things that you do when you're in a relationship that, mm-hmm. you know, you're not – you're not really wanting to do, but you do because you're in a relationship. And I think Kyle probably views the Titans in that sort of same sort of manner. Right. It's, it's like, uh, it's the new twilight movie. I have to go see that. Right. It's, it's the new Titans, you know, team meeting. I have to go do that. So then of course, you know, we get the, 
big mistake is the deal breaker are, uh, as things are starting to heat up on page 13 donna drops the bomb that she doesn't want to be alex and uh, the panel that uh, that middle panel is just it, it's really good because kyle's not angry well he's not he's not furious but his look is very stoic and very set he's mm. taking it in and he's realizing that this is this was the wrong thing this was what he was trying to avoid the entire time because he was trying to not let tensions get you know because if you're in these I mean he's specials, never once brought up her history no and it's not until afterwards that he makes a uh, comment about her going through divorce this was never brought up until Donna just dumped the whole thing about his dead girlfriend which and, and that's primarily just i mean it's obvious from the way it's positioned in the story it's it's meant to it's just lashing out it's meant to just hurt her mm-hmm. it's not him making a value judgment whereas it seemed like donna was making a value judgment on mm-hmm. yeah it does and you can you can tell that donna is a bit remorseful on this panel that she realizes that she may have gone too far but you still kind of get the thought that yes, this was a judgment on her call. This was her basically saying that Kyle is irresponsible and that she doesn't want to end up, you know, being the sort of clinging girlfriend. So Donna is being kind of selfish in this book. And yeah, uh, but then the next to page. be fair, but I guess we'll talk about it more fully when we get into the general comments. Mm-hmm. This is kind of how Ron does portray her a lot in this relationship, which is kind of frustrating because most of the time this relationship is a good one. It's, 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 it's a, it is a good sequence in the, in the series, but when the time comes for there to be some sort of rockiness, she regresses into a stomping little jealous 13 year old. Mm -hmm. And we're not going to get to the second breakup. Not for a while yet. Yeah. That's, that's still a ways down the line, but yeah, this of course leads to, Kyle getting all pissy and ringing up his costume and saying, look, I'm out of here. And of course, being Green Lantern, you can just take off through the window and be out of here. Mm-hmm. But uh, the, this leads us to him meeting up with John, which for some reason he decided to climb up to the roof and <laughs> have a coffee. Yeah, have a coffee, you know. Well, probably Rado gave it to him. Nah, that's true. He probably walked out and then, you know, it, it doesn't. Yeah, he is on the roof because it doesn't look like they're on the sidewalk here and uh, yeah you know you would think that after the past couple of issues with uh, people getting knocked off the roof you know because uh, in the whole thing with sonar you'd be kind of reluctant to sit on the rooftop of any building but you know uh, who knows but that leads us to uh the shortest fight scene in green lantern history with a uh, i guess baby finster apparently <laughs> I don't know who this guy is. It's again, he, he's got the he's got the Hanover fist face again. So yes. we're back to that. And he's wearing, yeah, he's wearing basically a diaper slash, I oh, don't God. know. Oh, yeah. God, it's a weird design. But I guess this is one of the characters from the uh, Mosaic storyline that uh, was kind of peeved about uh, John leaving him there. And I guess I didn't, I, I really didn't think about that, but... I guess the mosaic was still left on Oa, and when Kyle blew it up, uh, mm. I didn't really think about you know what the repercussions of that. But I guess 
they kind of uh, write it off that the dark stars came by and evacuated all the people before the, uh, mm-hmm. the planet went all kablooey. So thankfully, I guess this guy was able to survive and get away, which leads him to want to beat up John. So there you go. Moving on to page 17. I like, I, I, I think it's a neat callback or a neat sort of, uh, homage that Kyle rings up the, uh, berserker's fist with uh, essentially very mcfarlane looking webbing webbing yeah it's got all the little knots and twists in it so that's that's kind of a neat callback to the uh sort of marvel style but yeah this is just a really short fight between a really nobody character that kyle takes out really quickly it's like mars just figured that that the relationship stuff that was going on wasn't enough and he just threw this in as a perfunctory thing, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, Although all... I like how, by the way, he follows up Spider-Man with Conan the Barbarian. Mm-hmm. Because that is obviously, I mean, he's not wielding, you know, Conan's massive sword, but it's a nice flail that uh, works pretty well. And then he uh, traps him between two Easter Island heads, which is kind of neat as well. But uh, this, this will lead up to the uh, whole hero's quest storyline where Kyle is going to, uh, get even more introspective and basically go around the DC universe and meet up with uh, some of the major players and figure out you know what it means to be a hero. I know Shag that doesn't mean he's going to go visit Firestorm. Well, <laughs> sadly, sadly no. Well, maybe not so sadly, but um, although they do, he does get into he does meet Firestorm at some point in the Ring of Fire storyline. Mm-hmm. There you go. So you have something to look forward to. Don't worry. Well, yeah. Don't cry too much, bitch. <laughs> Look, he's still all upset because they canceled it. So, you know, let him let him have his moment. I mean, but he's going to I guess he's going to be covering uh, the the Fury of Firestorm stuff with the Conway run. So I, that'll be fun for him. But uh, then after the quick little fight, we get uh, John and Kyle talking and we get the whole uh, it, it sounds hokey, but I guess it works. The, it, it, you know, the whole it's not it's not what's in the ring, it's what's in your head and what's in your heart right. thing, which is which is nice. Uh, but it's it's pretty stereotypical. You know, the whole heroes thing isn't you know the the power that you wield. It's you know who you are. It, it works, but it's kind of ham fisted. Other than that, you know, uh, we get just talky talk and you yeah. know. John telling Kyle that, you know, he if he if he wants to be a hero, he will find a way. So, uh, which of course dovetails nicely with the whole story about Alex and Alex and uh, Kyle's first date. Yeah, that's the uh, one thing that I you know kind of glossed over because underlying this whole storyline of problems between Kyle and Donna and uh, the little fight, we get a sort of internal monologue that Kyle's delivering through all the caption boxes of the story of Kyle and uh, Alex on their first date where they went into the woods and went off the trail and couldn't find their way back. So they spent uh, a long time wandering around in the wilderness trying to find their way back. But eventually they did because essentially they persevered and kept on going. So it's, it's a nice undercutting or not undercutting. It's a nice underpinning of the story that basically it's a counterpoint to what's going on in the story. Exactly. Uh, You know, it, it, it works with the story in the whole idea with it. Uh, but being completely separate from it as well. But it's, 
it's why I think that this is some of the best writing that we've seen mm-hmm. uh, in the book, uh, in the Kyle Rayner story arc. So uh, I really enjoyed it. And it uh, makes me wonder if, if Mars had always – that this was always meant to be a temporary breakup mm-hmm. as opposed to the next one we're going to get, which we'll get down to down the line, mm-hmm. where it's an enforced breakup from an outside force. Yes. Burn. Uh, I'm looking looking for that. But uh, that's all I've got for notes. This was a really amazing issue, art-wise, story-wise. Just it, it hit on every level, and it's nice to see the uh, beginning of a you know relationship that's going to last between John and Kyle. So, uh, uh, really well, building up something that Wittick really picks up and runs with when he takes over. Now, this is something, you know, like I've said, I love the Kyle series, but the Winnick run is uh, is kind of a mystery to me. So I will be really interested to see what happens between John and Kyle and the Winnick run. Yeah, uh, I mean, but, what but Winnick does is really it reinforces the idea of the former Green Lanterns and Kyle being sort of a, a family. Mm-hmm. And we'll see that a lot when Winnick starts take but takes over the book in a couple of years time. Um, Kyle coming to John or coming to Al, particularly Alan Scott, mm-hmm. you know, and and just seeking out advice or just seeking, you know, just just talking with them. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing I want to point out, and I think this is this struck me, is that this is very consistent. The way that that he that that Pelletier, yeah, is drawing the. The smoke coming out, of, the, the, the mist coming out of people's mouths and such, the way that he has John dressed is very consistent with what we're going to see in the, the Guy Gardner book, which is that it's about Christmas time. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I like the fact that at least in, in this this period of, of the DC universe, they were trying to make sure that the thing remained consistent throughout yeah. the books. Yeah, well, there wasn't the sliding timeline, and, you know, the, the books kind of came out in. You know, when the books were published, it was somewhat the time of you know when the books were actually published. So right. it, it it didn't it gave you this feeling of an ongoing narrative. So it's it's a nice little aesthetic that yeah, sometimes you don't get in books in modern days. So enjoying it. But yeah, that's all I have for the book. Uh, are you ready to get all weepy with Guy Gardner? <laughs> Get your tissues out, folks, because yeah. this one's this one's gonna this one's going to hurt, and not in the way that uh, that damn issue with Bill Jimenez writing that was. Uh, this is a good kind of hurt, but we'll get to that after I play a couple of promos for some awesome podcasts. So stay tuned after the break, folks. Attention, people of Earth, do not resist us. All who oppose us shall be annihilated. We command the most powerful army of monsters in the universe. They are sure to defeat your Earth monsters. All those who are hearing this are now under the control of the Earth Destruction Directive. 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 Hey you! Yes you! Hearing this message. Do you like podcasts? Well, evidently you do, because you're listening to one right now. 
you like giant monsters? Of course you do. Who doesn't like giant monsters? Well, then have I got the show for you. Earth Destruction Directive is the newest Daikaiju podcast on the internet. And we talk about all your old favorites, like Godzilla, Rodan, King Ghidorah, and Gamera. But also lesser-known monsters, like Gappa, Yongari, and Giawa. We cover everything, from movies, to comic books, to video games. And we're kicking it old school. This is breaking news. We are receiving word that Earth Destruction Directive is now a part of the Two True Freaks Podcast Network. Listeners are advised to stay in their homes and listen to all of the fine quality podcasts on the Two True Freaks Podcast Network, available at twotruefreaks.libton.com. We now return you to your regularly scheduled broadcast. Wait a minute. Is this true? Earth Destruction Directive is now on the Two True Freaks Network? You bet your oxygen destroyer it is. So if you love atomic-powered, fire-breathing, hardcore, giant monster action, then head on over to twotruefreaks.libson.com and check out Earth Destruction Directive. We're turning all of your daikaiju dreams into city-smashing reality. Well, hello there. I'm J. David Weeder. You may know me from the internet. Come in. Enjoy my palatial Arctic estate. Ah, I see you noticed the smell of mahogany and my hardback archive and showcase editions. Yeah, I do all right for myself. Listen, why don't you get cozy here with me on my titano-skin rug while Metallo mixes us up a drinky drink. Metallo, soda cola martini, shaken. Look, I want you to come with me to a place. A place where it's only you and me and the Man of Steel, maybe Jimmy Olsen and Lois Lane? Wait, wait, where are you going? No, this isn't me coming on to you. This is a podcast promo. What I'm trying to propose is joining me weekly like Clark Kent did when he threw the green crystal into the water and saw Marlon Brando's giant head appear. Only in podcast form and my head just won't even be visible because it is an audio medium. Once a week, delve into the world of Superman with me on Superman Forever Radio. Look at comics, toy lines, TV series, characters, creators, anything and everything connected to the Man of Steel. Every Sunday at supermanforever.com, iTunes, and other podcatchers. Superman Forever Radio, fighting for truth and justice forever. That's supermanforever.com. See, I didn't mean what you thought I meant. It's all good. And yes, this is a new glowing white Kryptonian robe. Thank you so much for noticing. And yes, that is Lori Lamaris lounging by the pool. Don't tell her, but we're having smoked salmon for dinner and she takes it very personally. And you know who can't take a joke? Terra Man. You get one Glue Factory reference and he's up in arms. Superman Forever Radio. Keeping J. David Weeder off the streets so you don't have to. And we're back. So let's go ahead and jump right in to the Christmas episode of Guy Gardner Warrior number 39. This one was cover dated February 1996 and released on December 5, 1995. The cover price was again $1.75 US and $2.50 Canada. Sorry again, UK. Title was Merriment, Mistletoe, and Mayhem. The story was by Bo Ho Ho Smith, 
Pencils, Mark Mistletoe Campos. Inks, Dan, Don't Open Till Christmas, Davis, and St. Nick Napolitano, pages 8 through 10 and 19 through 22. Letters were Albert Giftwrap de Guzman. Colors were Lee, Fa La 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 Lowridge. And edits were by Eddie, My Stocking is Hung, Berganza. <laughs> really? We had to make a penis joke? Yes. Merry Christmas, Eddie. Merry Christmas. Christmas. That magic time of year when all seems right in the world. A time for friends and family to gather and enjoy the warmth of each other's company. A time to embrace the time-honored traditions and all the beauty that comes with it. A time to welcome all with the warmth of the season. A time for merriment, mistletoe, and mayhem. And that's what one would expect at Christmas time at the ultimate hangout for the superhero community, the Warriors Bar. Not since its opening has there been a turnout of heroes at the establishment. And this time around, everyone's in a festive mood. Everyone, that is, except for one Guy Gardner, who's sitting alone with his thoughts upstairs. Buck and Rita try and get Guy to come down to join in the merriment, and he begrudgingly complies after a somber look at the picture of his lost love, Ice. Downstairs, Rita and Buck are chatting with the Phantom Stranger as they ask him if there's anything that he can do for the depressed Guy. The stranger says that his magic doesn't work in the quote-unquote I dream genie way, but he knows someone who might be able to help. Buck thanks the stranger and quickly departs as Black Canary just walked by and she's all hot and stuff. A quick scene of John Constantine spiking the punch and retreated to a guy running into a very non-ancolter-esque Olivia Reynolds, who, along with artist Kyle Rayner, strangely enough, are debuting the new brand of Warriors toy line. Another scene of Lois and Clark under the mistletoe cuts to outside the bar, where sultry model Martika is making her way through the paparazzi. But before she can enter the bar, she's whisked away by the hentai-like tentacles of Dementor. The tuxedo terror plans on making the model his date for the night, but Martika has another idea, as she calmly tells Dementor to let her go and take a long walk off a short pier. Literally. Pretty much. Free of the nightmare's clutches, Martika evades the velvet ropes and heads right up to Guy, placing a passionate kiss on the lips of the warrior. This doesn't go unnoticed by Verona, who claims that Martika is an enchantress who is throwing spells on the great warrior. Guy brushes her aside as the two women have a mental war of words, and the party rises to a crescendo with everyone doing a little dance, making a little love, getting down to especially Fire, who might be a little bit tipsy. But the party for Guy is over too soon as Martika is called away by her driver. More miserable than ever, Guy heads to the roof to Seoul. Overlooking the Manhattan skyline, Guy ponders over his losses the past year until he hears the spectral voice of the Spectre. Sorry. Drawing him into his cloak, God's hand of vengeance teleports Guy to an ethereal plane where Guy comes face-to-face with Raleigh Gardner, his long-dead father. Approaching his son, Raleigh apologizes for all the pain he caused Guy. He knew all this time that he was trying to shove his lost goals and ambitions on him and his brother, and in the end, he realized that it it did nothing but cause the family heartache. In the end, he was able to make peace with his wife, but he never got to do the same for Guy. With tears in his eyes, Raleigh opens his heart and tells Guy that he loves him. 
and the warrior grabs his father in in an adoring embrace and says the same. Saying that there's a purpose to everything, Raleigh tells Guy that the ones he loved and lost will always be with him, and needs to use that love to keep making the world a better place. And with that, Raleigh departs from whence he came, with the final declaration to keep kicking the bad guy's butt. Back on the rooftop, Guy thanks the Spectre for making this the best Christmas ever, as a knowing phantom stranger senses the feeling of satisfaction from the ghostly guardian. Back inside, Guy is greeted by Lobo. Hey, it's a 90s comic, he had to make a cameo. He had to make a cameo who is owning up on his bed of who could take out more Tormox by delivering his space hog to the bar. Pulling Guy aside, the main man gives Guy a very special present, the skull of the Tormok leader Bronk, which he thinks would make a nice welcome mat. Only Lobo. The two warriors manshake as Guy gives the last Zarin an open ticket to the bar, which will probably bankrupt poor Buck. But the night isn't over as Queen Olaf, Ice's mother, makes her entrance into the establishment. Guy greets the mother of his lost love and shows her the tribute that he's made for her. Unfortunately, it's Tora in her slutty outfit. Yes. <laughs> Touched by the sentiment, uh, unfortunately upset by the slutty outfit, the queen gives Guy a frozen sculpture of Guy and Tora, one made from her love and soul, one that will never melt. Wordless, Guy thanks Queen Olaf as she tells him to use the past to build his future. The queen departs, and Guy thinks to himself that the night couldn't get any better. But that might not be the case, as upon re-entering the bar, Guy runs into Fire, who's always held a grudge against Guy. But witnessing the statue that Guy is holding, Fire realizes the bond that both she and Guy had with Tora was greater than the resentment that the two had against each other. Looking upward at the mistletoe above, the two embrace the spirit of the season and come together in a passionate kiss the end wow yeah this uh, is this is a great issue oh good. the only negative thing i could have to say about it is campos's art while improving doesn't live up to the artwork that we got like in issue 29 with phil jimenez mm-hmm. or or the stuff that mitch bird was doing prior to that i mean it's getting better. Uh, I think Campos is kind of getting his groove and kind of getting uh, used to doing this. But I would have preferred if Mitch Bird were on the art. But the, right. that's just nitpicking, really. Overall, this is really an awesome, awesome book. I, I, I this is one again. This is one of the reasons why I'm glad I'm covering this stuff because a lot of people would completely overlook this book as being just ridiculous over-the-top 90s stuff Mm -hmm. and it's so well written and so touching and honestly especially when when at this point you got to assume that everybody knew the bloom was off the rose that their their time was limited on this book Mm -hmm. and if you don't know unfortunately we've only got like a Uh, few more issues about three or four more issues Mm -hmm. so i i don't know exactly when uh they probably got the call to say that uh it's it's going away. We're canceling the book, but it's sad because Smith is setting up new story arcs. He's bringing in this character of uh, Martika in to be sort of the new uh, bad. We don't know much mm-hmm. about her, but we get the idea that things aren't going well. Things aren't what they seem with her. And so, of course, in the tradition of uh, classic 
bad guys in like TV shows, the first thing you do to prove how badass your new bad guy is is have her get rid of the old bad guy. Mm-hmm. And and she does it brilliantly, and it's done pretty much without without a big fight, without a war of words, without anything. It's just you need to go away. So you get the idea that there's something going on with Martika that's more than what you actually see with her. But this is just uh, – this story just uh, amazes me. We'll, we'll go ahead and take a look at it, uh, starting with the cover, which is uh, – Go away, <laughs> 90s. Yes. I go, do go. like – I do look all. I do like all the gifts that guy is delivering. The yeah. uh, we've got, uh, I guess, a a hawk helmet for for Qatar. Or not, it's not Carter anymore. It's Qatar and okay. some trick arrows for Green Arrow, a Superman cape, and a lasso. I'm not. Uh, there's there's an onk there. So is that gun for fate? Maybe is that the Jared Stevens did, did he? I, I think yeah, Jared Stevens was still the fate of record at this time. Okay, so in fact, he's still the book, the the book, the original, you know, the man called Fate, as opposed to the book of Fate, which was the reboot that only lasted a couple of issues. I think is still being published, although only with like one or two more issues to go at this okay. time. Okay, but yeah, it's. I, I will give I'm them just, credit. Go away, Arissa. Go away. Uh, I will give them credit. The fact that Arisia does have sort of, she is very elf-like looking, but mm-hmm. man, this is a weird pose. She looks, she looks way too skinny here, and her her sort of weird arm thing with her arms being, yeah. it, it looks it looks creepy and weird. Oh, Come there's on. the 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 harpoon for Aquaman. Yeah, and uh, oh, we've got the. We've got the tiara, and it looks like the magic right. lasso for Diana, mm-hmm. which is nice because I think Diana comes back to actually being Wonder Woman instead of being the, like you said, the downtown Julie Brown version right. of it, which was – it's nice that that was uh, gotten rid of. I'm glad to see that. But uh, it's not bad work here. Right. I guess this is uh, – this isn't Well, this uh, is Campos. Joe Phillips, Okay. I think. Yeah, I think uh, judging from the, um, judging yes. from the signature in the lower left-hand corner, mm. and it's it's a nice look of guy. It still has the sort of stereotypical '90s, you know, beefiness of him, but it it, it works except for yeah, Aresia. Uh-huh. Go away, Aresia. Poor poor '90s slutty Aresia. Moving on to page one. We get some uh, characters that didn't make it to the uh, Warriors Bar the last time. Go away, Nightblade. Go away. <laughs> Unfortunately, the 90s aren't quite over yet as Nightblade. I, we get Rampage here. She wasn't there last time, and that's yeah. nice that she didn't hold a grudge because of the uh, whole issue of uh, Guy tearing up Star Star Labs. So that's cool. We get, uh, we get uh, Atlantean dancer-sized Power Girl. Oh yes, yes. We get Power Girl in her her '90s costume that still had the still had the boob window, but it just wasn't appealing as her old costume. And uh, Superboy is actually making an appearance here, and uh, along with Knockout. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, surprisingly, some uh, 
some Batman uh, related uh, characters as Nightwing shows up. And I remember last time we had uh, issue 29, there were essentially no one from the Bat family showed up. Yeah. So it's nice to see that uh, Bruce allowed some of his uh, some of his teammates a chance to go kick back and relax over at the Warriors bar. Right. And then I have no idea who the brunette is in the Santa Claus outfit, other than she seems to be flying and some guy's looking at her butt. I think that might be Desmond. That might be Tiger Man in his, uh, which is surprising because he's not in his, you know, Tiger Man, you know, not outfit, but his Tiger yeah. form. But yeah, she, he's, uh, he's definitely checking out uh, her, her stuffed beaver, if you know what I'm saying. Yes. Nice beaver. Thank you. I just had it stuffed. Let me help you with that. <sighs> uh, but, you know, uh, moving on to uh, pages two and three, which are which is the two page splash, which is just basically the uh, jam cover. Yeah. On uh, page two. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. We get the atom up here. Yes, this is, is this, the teen Adam. Okay, I was going to say, because this is kind of, you know, the Adam throughout this issue, he's flying around and, you know, messing with mm. streamers and stuff. And this doesn't seem like the Ray Palmer Adam here. And I was thinking, is, is, this this isn't the, the right Adam. This is a different person, right? Right. No, no, this is still Ray Palmer. Really? During Zero Hour, Ray oh. Palmer regresses into a teenager. Oh, And gains the ability of flight and also gains the ability to grow as well as shrink. As we'll see in about a year or to two years time when uh, Juergens launches his new Teen Titans. So the Atom becomes a member of the Teen Titans because of Zero Hour. Because he's a teenager, yes. Although he'll always whine about, but I was an adult once. Ah, uh, great. Well, uh, I'll look forward to not reading that. Yeah. I also like, and I've got to assume because they are photo reference, and I know on this page two, that is Bo Smith uh, yes. at the bottom of the page because he's got the warrior's hat, and he's got the beard, and that is a manly man there. So yes. I've got to assume this is the uh, either Why the art team. manly manliness, Mr. Bo Smith. <laughs> So, so manly. But I've got to assume... It amazes me he's willing to be interviewed by us, even though I've called him the manly, the Wi-Fi of manly man. You know, I I, got to peel back the curtains. Hopefully, by the time this uh, issue comes out, we will have done our interview with Bo Smith. It's Mm -hmm. still in the works. We're trying to get things uh, ironed out. But yes, ladies and gentlemen, if it hasn't happened yet... Look forward to an interview with the most manly man in comicdom, Mr. Bo Smith, coming from just one of the guys. I am so looking forward to that. But, yeah, here we've got uh, – I've got to assume it's the creative team on here. That's Smith and probably the – probably Campos and uh, maybe the inker Davis. Davis. So uh, I'm assuming that the the douchey guy in glasses might be Eddie Braganza. I couldn't tell. Probably. But uh, yeah, this page uh, sports a lot of a uh, lot of characters. We've got Rocket Red and Geo Force, the Rays here checking out, checking out. Which seems to Black be, of Canaries. course, Black Canary's entire purpose in this story. Mm-hmm. Have so, people check out our boobs. Well, uh, I guess she's I guess she's flaunting it, you know. With the uh, I guess now 
there is actually the death of Ollie. I guess he is actually dead, and Connor has finally taken over. Because I remember there was some question in issue 29, and I guess I got corrected by someone that Ollie wasn't technically dead at the time. He was just in hiding. And it kind of made sense because in the uh, Green Lantern book around the time when uh, Hal came back to sort of mess up uh, Kyle – and they brought the sort of pseudo-Justice League in, it was actually Oliver Queen in the stereotypical Connor Hawk outfit, which I thought was right. just really odd. But I guess uh, at the time, Ollie wasn't dead. He was just on the run, and I guess Connor allowed him to borrow his costume or something. I don't know. Moving on, the next page, uh, page Oh, three. shall we also point out some of the, uh, shall we say, lesser lights? Oh, yes. Of the DC. We have Ballistic. Oh, good lord, yes. Blood pack. <laughs> um, we have... Um, who else do we have over here? We've got a uh, lot of the metal men. We've, I a see. lot of the metal men. We have mullet-style Captain Adam. Mm-hmm. We have... I'm assuming that guy, that black guy in the ill-fitting cowl is supposed to be Amazing Man. Yes, um, we've got, uh, I thought I saw Triumph there for a second, but I guess I was mistaken. Uh, mm-hmm. once again, the, once again, we have the iteration of the, the Phantom Lady that showed up for about five seconds. Yeah. Flame Bird, of all people. Really? Is that the one back there, uh, around, uh, by Ralph and, uh, yes. Plastic Man? That's, that's Flame Bird, the former Bat, the first Bat Girl who after the uh the crisis was renamed flamebird okay interesting and of course go away booster gold and your stupid armor <laughs> yes it's it's booster trying to hit on i don't know why he's trying to hit on fire i guess maybe he's hoping that she gets drunk and <laughs> there might be a chance to see a little fire cleavage. Oh, well, let's not forget maxima you know maxima back when they decided to make her into a Superhero. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we forgot about Maxima. So. Yeah, well, unfortunately, the JLA at the time didn't, and she was prominent there. I, I do like that we've got the two stretchy guys uh, over there playing darts, which I think is kind of fun. You know, and uh, the characters of a last of Elongated Man and Plastic Man are so radically different, but it's nice to see them put together in here. Right. Uh, and there's some nice Easter eggs throughout the book, as we'll get there. Um, I have no idea who this person is on, on page four. I've got to assume the female. I've got to assume that that's Rita, since she's oh. since she's here with Buck, and she's right. concerned about Buck. Guy. Mm-hmm. And since it's concerned about Guy, I've got to assume that's Rita, but she looks kind of off. I know, yeah. uh, for a while I thought it might have been Lady Blackhawk, but no... Uh, you know, I don't know if Lady Blackhawk would be in a sort of sultry dress like that. But, yeah, you get the guy sitting alone up in his little office playing hoops, feeling sorry for himself. And it's the setup that we'll get uh, with the book that, you know, it's Christmas time and everyone else is having fun and enjoying himself. And Guy is sadly reflecting on all the loss that he's got to go through in his life. He's lost his brother. He's lost his father. He's lost Torah over the year. I mean, he's had a completely horrible rough year and he's just not feeling it and they they set it up really well here with guy on this last panel 
taking a look at Torah. You know, unfortunately, it's it's slutty costume Torah, but still. Then we get to I have no idea who this guy is asking Tana out for a date. Uh, that's that's Joey. That's a member of Guy's crew. The yeah, from Friends. <laughs> yes, <laughs> he'll be there for you. <laughs> no, no, it's 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 Joey Hong, the uh, stereotypical Asian, you know, karate. So it guy. makes sense for the the Asian the two the two token Asians. Yeah, to cook it's up. it's it's not at all stereotypical at all, and that's not in any way possibly a bit you know accordingly racist. But uh, I'm not even going to. Just surprise, Buck. This is like sidle up to Joey, go like whispering his ear. You know, she killed killed her last husband, right? <laughs> Oops. Maybe that's uh, something. Uh, maybe maybe. Uh, and then then we get the preacher man. I'm sorry, I, Phantom Stranger. <laughs> See, I don't know about this, but uh, you know they ask uh, Phantom Stranger if he's enjoying his food and looking at it. I don't know why because I just mm-hmm. I, I I kind of imagine that Phantom Stranger is enjoying poutine. If you know what that <laughs> is. I think Phantom Stranger is just a big poutine fan, and they made him up a nice dish of poutine, and he's just going to sit down and have some french fries. At this time, well, he just sits back and watches old Kids in the Hall episode. <laughs> but yeah, I, I like... For me, a show that speaks directly to me. Ah, <laughs> uh, the Phantom Stranger is crushing your head. Uh <laughs> To be fair, I like the Phantom Stranger. I, I as it, you know, I every Christmas I do Phantom Stranger books mm-hmm. on DJ Comics. I mean, sorry, every uh, Halloween I do a yeah. Phantom Stranger book. So I have a great deal of affection for the character, but the joking—he's joking in this thing. Mm-hmm. He's making "I Dream of Genie" references. That's not the Phantom Stranger. Well, I, I'll, I'll agree with you there, but I think. Uh... I think Bo Smith through throughout the run has taken the Phantom Stranger who's been kind of a kind of a malign character, especially from people that I hear talk about him uh, and, and done well with him and integrated him into the book and made him a, a for at least for me an enjoyable character to uh, to to get into. Well, part uh, of that is, is that Bo Smith is not just using the Phantom Stranger as DC's version of the Watcher. Mm hmm. Something terrible is about. You just, you just, I just imagine Lance Hendrickson's voice coming out, and something terrible is about to happen. <laughs> I have to go now. Yeah, but then we get, of course, <laughs> Black Canary and her boobs distracting everyone. So there you go. Is this uh, a shoe of Guy Gardner? Black Canary is played by Denise Richards. Thank you very much. <laughs> uh, that's not a bad choice. Um, moving on to page six. Uh, Here's another thing. You know, everyone seems to complain. Oh, my God. It's John Constantine is spiking the drink. Exactly. Bo Smith seems to want to bring John Constantine back into the DC universe, you know, about 20 years before Dan DiDio did. So, I mean, to be fair, this was still during the time when Constantine was one of the – I think there were only two characters, two or three characters who were allowed to have one foot in both camps. Mm-hmm. I think it was him, Swamp Thing, and I think also Robot Man. Okay. Well, and that makes sense because later on in the uh, issue, we'll see an actual cameo from Swamp Thing. So, But yeah, I, I thought it was hilarious that John 
spike in the punch mm-hmm. as as he would you know you can't have a good party with about without a bit of a brew and you're wondering yeah i guess you could kind of wonder whether or not the uh the uh stuff that john's spiking with might have a bit more than just alcohol in it so that's cool but it gets uh fire all worked up which is nice mm-hmm. uh then the same page we get olivia reynolds back and throughout my run i've always because the first time olivia reynolds turned up in uh, green lantern like uh issue 27 where it was the little dolls the green lantern dolls on the cover she had looked ridiculously on that cover like Ann Coulter. And I know, uh, you know, I've made jokes at Ann Coulter's expense on the show. She's gotten away from it, so I can't make any more Ann Coulter references on the show, which I'm certain certain pleases you because of your feelings towards the lady. That's all right, man. You know, we <laughs> I respect other people's rights. <laughs> But uh, I also like here on this page that we, uh, as we aforementioned, we get the actual meeting between Guy and Kyle. Now, Guy has no idea that Kyle is Green Lantern at the time. So it's nice to see that, you know, uh, we get to see Kyle uh, in his actual real life job as a design artist who's making the uh, Warriors tour line, which I don't know about you. I would be... (laughs) I would be so into buying some Guy Gardner action figures. Yes. And I, I like that he's not only got his action figures, but he's also got, you know, some some pretty boss vehicles as well. I mean it's nothing like the it's nothing like the Super Walker, but uh they're pretty neat. And also uh, on and this on this final panel here, the sorting balding guy with the little skinny douchey sunglasses. Is that the Toy Man? No, that okay. is... And I'm trying to remember his name. Michael would be able to tell you. Uh, okay. That is Superboy's manager. Okay. Because I... Who is a character who is like a supporting character in his own book. Okay. Yeah, I, I remember seeing uh, a while back an advertisement for a Superman Toy, toy Man storyline, which I guess was going on in the book, or it might have been a prestige format thing, and this character looked a lot like the uh, yeah. version of the Toy Man, so I was wondering if that's it. But yeah, it makes sense that since he's uh, promoting Superboy, and I think that may be Superboy looking in there. Yeah, that's that Superboy and, and uh, Knockout looking at the toys. Okay, makes sense. Moving at, you know, Speaking of Superboy, moving on to the next page... We Bart get, uh, is apparently cheating on Lois with a Korean girl. <laughs> yeah, I was like, this this does not look like the Lois I know. Yeah, she's got the red hair and that's about it. You know, she doesn't she doesn't look like uh the Lois that I know. But it's like those those seventies issues of Jimmy Olsen. Mm-hmm. Where you had Jack Kirby drawing Lois and Jimmy and all the, the members, and you knew it, it was them, but because it was Jack Kirby, it, it looked kind of wrong. Yeah, well, Jack Kirby has never been his strong suit has never been female characters, in my opinion. If if he's having to draw female heroes mm-hmm. like uh, some of the people in his Fourth World stuff, those right. are pretty awesome. But yeah, for feminine characters, I mean, even starting back with the the early issues of the Fantastic Four, they were all kinds of wonky. So yeah, but Clark mm-hmm. looks on model, and he's he he's he's got the big chin. So right. I, I I don't don't mind Campos's version of Clark. So 
and he's still got the long hair. But he's got the long hair, but it looks like he's tucking it up under his uh, under his collar. So maybe right. that's how he gets away from letting people the the other realization that hey, Clark has long hair, and now Superman has long hair. I wonder if there's a I wonder if there's a connection. Hey, and he's hanging out with that guy with the green ring up the street. <laughs> There's no, there's no relationship whatsoever. Anyway, no, no, don't even think about it. And we get Martika making her entrance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's, there's not much to say on this page except uh, Martika dresses pretty slutly, and there seems to be, again, there seems to be this vibe of something more is going on with her character yeah. that she seems to be able throughout the past couple issues, she seems to be able to manipulate people and it's not really overtly said that she does, but you mm-hmm. are kind of Smith is setting up the idea that she might have a sort of mental tele, not mental telepathy, but a sort of uh, way of casting a spell over people. And, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, I'm and just, it was obvious that he had some really big plans for Martika. After all, I mean, the previous issue is the, is the famous issue with her, yeah. On the cover, right? Yeah, the, yeah, it's the one with her in the green dress, you know, holding the chess pieces of mm-hmm. uh, Guy and Buck and the rest of the crew, and uh, it's a very, it's a very provo- well, not really provocative. It's a very sultry looking thing with her, uh, the very come hither look, and she's laying there, and obviously her chest is very exposed. There's a lot of cleavage, and she's got her shoe hanging off her foot. So it's you get the idea that Smith really wanted this character to do something. And it's kind of unfortunate that I don't think we'll get to see the, uh, the extent to what he, she would, she would become. So it is kind of disappointing that we get all this set up and not much comes of it, but uh, yeah, moving on to that page nine, we get again, the fact Dementor, this being that completely and totally tormented guy and, completely messed with him is just basically done away with by Martika with nary a punch. Yeah. Almost nary a word. So yeah, the character of Martika, very mysterious and also, you know, pretty powerful. So it would be interesting to see where this all would have gone. Mm. Then moving on to the next page, page 10, we get her interest to the bar and, of course, everyone's. I, I love how all the all the males are just mm-hmm. gobstopped with their jaw dropped. In fact, uh, in this one panel, we've got Plastic Man, of course, with his gigantic rubbery mouth open. And uh, I like the fact that the girls or the female characters are all very much completely the opposite. They're nonplussed by her they're kind of angered by her entrance so it's it's except for of course verona uh, yeah well well verona I, I i love the fact that verona's there and she's not fooled by martika at all she realizes that something's up and uh, it's a testament to her character that she's here looking out for guy when everyone else is just like oh uh, don't worry about martika she's fine so i i and i love the little verbal sp- or the sort of mental sparring match that the two right. do and Verona so now just, know she has some sort of pheromone thing going on. Mm-hmm. That's we know that she, we know that she is telepathic. Mm-hmm. We yeah, that's about it right now. Yeah, 
there's there's not much there's not much told about her, but we kind of get the idea that there is something going on with her. So it, it's nice setup, and unfortunately, I think the payoff isn't going to be all that much. But and yeah, in the back of of panel three, by the way, look what we got. We got loose cannon, dark stars, Donna Troy, and '90s douchebag speak, uh, Arsenal. <laughs> And I don't know who that is in the middle, is it? That's that's, not... I think that's supposed to be Nightwing. Yeah, it does look... Uh, that's kind of off, because he looks he looks a lot beefier. I mean, I know at the time this was the Nightwing with the sort of mulleted ponytail, but yeah, that's kind of off. I do like, however, in the side panel there, that the Christmas tree... Swamp There's bang. Swampy. Yep. I thought that was a nice little touch that... Uh, you know, he brought that. And and Dead Man. When did Dead Man show up? That's kind of neat. <laughs> Dead Man shows up whenever he wants to show up. I <laughs> uh, hope you don't mind me possessing you. I'm going to do a little dancing tonight. And, uh, the, oh, yeah. The, the, the great shame of Dead Man, he likes to possess the ladies. Uh, <laughs> didn't want to know that. <laughs> Where do you think all those weird... Weird no. over sexualized poses come from the DC universe. Oh uh, well, yeah, I guess uh, I guess Ed Benes would have no would have no career if it weren't oh more connection problems. <laughs> you Skype. Okay. Should I make that joke again? No, I think we got it. Okay, good. But yeah, and then at the bottom of the panel we get Clark and his Asian girlfriend again. <laughs> awesome. And here we get on on the next page another forgotten part of 1990s DC, the Ice Maiden. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, we I, I covered Ice Maiden in the Way of the Warrior storyline and her whole mopey bit and trying to have to replace Ice in the Justice League and huh, that that unfortunately wasn't a very good run of the Justice League. It's I think it's I think it's not remembered well for good reasons. You know, yeah. the the little bit that I had to read of it just wasn't all that exciting. I gotta say though, those are some ugly female figures. Yeah, that's disturbing because, like I said, and this may be just me, I liked Mitch Bird when he was mm-hmm. drawing the females. These are not nice, and I think I think the fact that we've got an overly accentuated power girl here with her horrible. Mm-hmm. 90s costume just just doesn't work either but we also get more set up here with Martika in that right. you know there's other things going on that she has other things in the fire so as she's called away from the uh, whole party so it, it it leads to it leads you to believe that there's more going on my with god Martika. look at those thighs on her in that last panel oh my god yes and that dress uh, that how does that even stay on? I don't even know. I don't. It was probably designed by the same person that designs all of Emma Frost's outfits. <laughs> now Emma Frost, you can you can think it's all psychic. You know, she's mm-hmm. using her her, her, her mutant uh, telepathy to hold them on. So maybe maybe that's a thing. Maybe this is the uh, the DC version of Emma Frost. Could you be. think there's like this little shop somewhere in New York where all the all the psychic slucks go to get their <laughs> their outfits? Psychic sluts. I think that's a, I think that's actually should be the name of a shop. That'd be awesome. <laughs> and also before we leave this page, yet another forgotten you know aspect of the DC universe: Sparks, ladies and gentlemen. Oh my God! I thought that was a yes. That is Sparks. Thank you, thank you, Bloodlines. I mean, 
didn't bring us enough wonderful characters that we'd love to forget. But that, of course, leads us to to the actual meat of the issue with uh, the next page guy going up to the uh, roof. And I I don't know. I guess he's been there for a while because the snow's starting to build up on his jacket and everything. But it introduces the specter into the story. Now, at this point, this is the Jim Corrigan specter. Hmm. Yeah, he still Uh, hasn't. I guess Corrigan hasn't gone to to purgatory yet uh, um, that happened in final or does he finally die? I'm trying to remember the whole He eventually is allowed to die. He's allowed to pass on and go and enter heaven in the last issue of the specter series done by John Ostrander and Tom Mandrake. Okay. Yeah. So that's, and, and that, that kind of, that kind of dovetails from final night and all that, which mm-hmm. we'll be getting to here in a while. But this is, this is some of the powerful stuff that, Pages 14 and 15, where Spectre takes Guy to whatever this mystical realm where he can have a talk with his uh, long-dead father. Mm-hmm. And he's able to resolve things. And this is, uh, this is again, Bo Smith, you know, writing the character and and basically grounding him and cementing him as this character. He's gotten rid of all of the burdens and all of the all of the things in his past and he's becoming a new grounded character and the fact that he's now able to go and resolve the issue resolve his father issues which were obviously tormenting him because he led such a horrible life as a youth with his father that he's now able to go and resolve that and realize that in the end his father loved him and his father, you know, wished that he could have said how much he loved to him, how much he loved him to him. And it's just incredibly powerful stuff. And to his credit, Campos gets the artwork here pretty well. That's uh, on page 14 where we're showing the sort of the sort of red toned flashback type stuff where you see. Uh, Mace and his father, and then Mace or uh, his father beating Ky- a guy with the belt and all that, and we get all the the bad times and that. Moving over to the next page with uh, you know, just that really emotional moment where Raleigh tells Guy that he loves him, and you know the two just embrace. It, it's it, it's just such a touching moment and it's something that I don't think you see too often in comics. And if you do see it, it's done ham fistedly and not well. And it's just really done amazingly here. And I mean, who doesn't want it? And it's funny because not that long ago, we were talking about how recreating his father to get affirmation from him. Who doesn't want affirmation from, from those who passed on. Mm hmm. And but whereas the um, the thing that we that Ron Mars showed us in that very first story he wrote with him with how ringing ring slinging up his father it felt false it felt more like what Hal was looking for was affirmation from himself whereas this is closure for for a guy mm-hmm. this is something I'm sorry this 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 once again Sean I blame you um. It's 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 great. It, it, it's Bo setting up Guy as being his own man. Mm-hmm. And yeah, 
as counter to the whole thing with uh, Hal doing it. Hal was was him talking to himself. It was him reconstructing up something mm-hmm. to make himself uh, to assuage the guilt that he felt for himself. This is actually the specter connecting with the spirit of Guy's father so that Guy's father can actually resolve the issues that he had with Guy. And mm-hmm. it's it, it's also nice that they touch on the idea of there is something after death. And mm-hmm. it's nice that they don't go really into it because I don't want stories that are heavy-handed in religion or anything like that. But it's nice that it's at least touched upon. It's There's mm-hmm. a little bit said about it. But it's just really... Just really strong stuff, and yeah, it. The, like I said, the first time I read this, I was like, I wasn't expecting this coming up, and I wasn't expecting this, and this actually kind of choked me up when I read it the first time. So, testament to Bo Smith, amazing, amazing stuff here. And then, uh, then of course, moving on to 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 page sixteen, as you know, everything is uh, Raleigh goes back to his uh, to his reward or whatever. Uh, you know, Guy thanks the Spectre in that panel there with the Phantom Stranger and the Spectre. He's got the sort of what what I like to call the Batman smile. Yeah, so it's just the it, it's not a smile. It's just that look of satisfaction, and uh, it, it's nice that. And I just also love the fact that that when the Spectre tells Guy it's time to go back, he's in agreement. He doesn't want a one minute more like you figure a lot of people would want. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he doesn't want to. He doesn't want to have to spend. You know, he knows that this is this is something that he has to put in his past. This is something that has been resolved. He's worked it out, and now he's ready to move on. So, it's great. And 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 again, testament to Guy. He he's polite and he thanks the stranger and he thank or he thanks the specter for doing this and you know says that this is the best thing that has ever happened to him so uh, credit to all the characters in here awesome just awesome moving on from the drama we get to page 17 and this is supposed to be a fun book let's get back to something. that's true don't we can't be mopey can't be mopey we've got to do something fun and who's more fun than uh. Okay, well, like, like I've said before, it's a 90s... It's the Sandman! <laughs> oh my gosh! Wait. Look! Oh, look, yes! Second panel! I... It's the Sandman! That is the Sandman! What is he doing here right now? I that... have no idea! Is that... Is that Johnny Thunder? Over here? You know, or... It could be Johnny Thunder. I thought at first it was uh, Jimmy Olsen, but considering his proximity to Wesley Dodds there... Yeah. Oh my, yeah! I did not even recognize that. Yeah, <sighs> some nice cameos here. Sadly, loose cannons here. So f- him uh, and ballistic. <laughs> him too. <laughs> Sorry, uh, but yeah, Lobo comes in to uh, to pay up on his debt that we got in the Way of the Warriors storyline, which, despite the fact that it had some really piss poor art in it, was better than I expected. Uh, you know, I th- it may have been the fact that Luke Giacchetti was here to sort of ease the pain, but you know, Lowell comes in to bring, you know, his space hog, which, which honestly would be a nice addition to, to any bar, you know, the sort of planet Hollywood type 
bar that guy is opening here so that's kind of cool it's nice that hawkman is on looking lobo and going you know i'm going to kick his ass <laughs> i don't think lobo and hawkman get along but right there you go as opposed to uh, arnie and uh carl Wentz. i mean guy and lobo here <laughs> <laughs> yes that uh that next page on page 18 i don't know if i would be displaying the semi-crushed skull of your uh you know, of your, uh, you know, main bad, you know, of your main antagonist anywhere in your uh, bar, but I don't know whether OSHA would allow that kind of thing. <laughs> but it's, I guess it's going to happen here. And then, of course, we get the, like, the manliest of handshakes ever in this middle panel, just going low. Just... All they need are cigars. <laughs> well, and, and the over-the-top theme, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> truck driver arm wrestling to save his son uh, but Who that can't relate to that uh, everyone uh then of course you know we get some more drama uh we can't have enough we can't have enough uh fun fighting big fightenstein this with uh without having some drama and we get queen olaf coming in so it's it's a nice entrance uh campos i think ca- captures the sort of style that uh mitch bird did in those earlier issues like uh, around 25 but it's nice to see that uh queen olaf is here but i can't imagine that she would be happy seeing the uh statue of torah being her slutty outfit with cover that... up my son <laughs> please, you know just please give her the the old sort of workout thing with the spandex yeah. and the cut off shirt it looks so much better than this but uh it leads us to to olaf or queen olaf giving guy the the ice sculpture which is nice uh, uh, it's typical you know it, it's a it's a nice little gift that uh again will remind guy of ice which i don't think he needs to be but unfortunately i think it is also ice in her slutty uniform so <sighs> Why Queen Olaf would be doing beyond me as well, but uh. we should also mention a blink and you miss a cameo by, of course, the man called Fate. Oh yeah, and I think that's supposed to be Mirage there. Go away, Teen Titans character. Go. <laughs> uh, I, I'm I'm glad I'm not following the Titans this time. But moving on, you know, to the end, we get the. The sort of now. Oh, and uh, if you're looking on page 21, I didn't realize this. This will excite Shag as well. Firestorm showed up to the party, Woo-hoo! so Firestorm's there, right along with uh, with Nightblade and Sparks. So surrounded by some of us. Some would say is where he belongs. Huge hashtag. Ooh, that's harsh. <laughs> no. Sorry, Shag. I'll, I'll. Well, I won't do anything there. That. Tom's right. <laughs> um, but this leads us to the uh, eventual meeting between Guy and B, which, which of course starts out very uh, antagonistic as they bump into each other. And you right. would think that would go poorly because B's had a bit to drink and she pretty much hates Guy. But thankfully, the statue of Guy and the hoodie McBoobledge ice uh, causes her to reconsider her ways and also causes her to consider kissing guy which 
also causes her because she was probably really, really drunk to possibly be doing more than kissing guys. We'll find out in a in an upcoming issue. But yeah, and the the final page with the teen Adam flying around, wrapping ribbon all around him. Just it's nice that B and uh, Guy, if not make up, at least sort of make a man make out. Yeah, <laughs> make out exactly. <laughs> But you know, it's nice that they see the relationship that 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 their relationship to Ice is the one thing that they have together, and it's the one way that they can they can bond. And uh, honestly, I think this is probably the sort of uh, best moment that we'll see between uh, Guy and Fire. Aside from that, I don't know if you ever read it, the issue of uh, Justice League America Classified that came yes. out. I, I think it when came they out, went down to hell. Yeah, where they went down to hell and brought Tora back, mm-hmm. and that that issue where it was the oh, was basically the it was a Greek myth. I can't remember exactly which one. It was but it was uh, Oedipus? Oedipus. Yeah. Oedipus. Actually, the character was Orpheus, who wanted to save his love rather than Oedipus, who wanted to bang his mom. And they're they're uh, walking out of hell, and they can't look back to see if the person is following them. And of course. You know, they're walking and you've got Kevin McGuire doing these wonderful panels of them just annoyingly looking, knowing that they can't look back. Otherwise, Ice will uh, disappear. And, of course, B turns around and looks back and Ice says that she's she knew that she would be the one. And Ice disappears and the two just fall into each other's arms because they're so broken up. So it's this is a nice little uh Nice little panel between you the know, two. Jeff Johns has always said that that the guy did nail B. You you kind of get that uh, you kind of get that idea from the uh, next issue. You know, spoiler warning, yeah. but just just so people know. Yeah. There, there's also somewhere in there you'll notice that that you know we, we, we go back a little bit to when uh, just before Lobo makes the scene. You'll notice the person that comes to get Guy is Diana. Mm-hmm. Which I think once again is is positioning Wonder Woman for that plot point that we talked about, and which we I guess we'll talk about with Bo. Oh yeah, in the in the future, that he was planning on having Diana be sort of kind of a a secondary character running around in this book. Yeah, and I think we've mentioned before that that would really be a great dynamic between them because, as you've said before, that the two are essentially now warriors mm-hmm. and. It, it makes sense to have, if you're not going to have a, not so much of a love interest between the two, at least have a friendship, a, 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 a kinship between the two. And that would really work out well. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to ask uh, what Bo had as plans between the two. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, this was, uh, this was a surprisingly uh, dramatic issue. And something I really didn't expect out of the Guy Gardner book. I mean, it's a 90s book. It's Guy with tattoos, morphing big guns out of every part of his body. And what we get is just a really nice, dramatic character piece here. So, right. uh, Unlike with the other one, there was no McFeidenstein at all. Yeah. I mean, Sorry, that, Leyland. Yeah, even, even, even though we had Lobo show up, there was no smashing up at the bar there was no real 
in fact, even with the uh, Dementor showing up, there was no fighting throughout this issue. This is all drama and all character building. So just amazing work by Bo Smith. I, I can't, I can't say how much I love Bo Smith writing this story. So. I mean, the sense that you get from this issue is that he's just getting started on what, now that he's kind of squirreled away the stuff that I think the editors may have imposed on him. Now he's going to get back to telling the type of stories he wants to tell, and it's kind of sad that we've only got. I think I think it is about is it forty two or forty three? I think I think there's I think it's actually forty four. I think he makes it to forty four, okay. and then he's got an annual, which you know is a the year one annual. Yeah, well he he had the year one, and he had the the second annual, which was like Tales of the Dead Earth or something, which was a bunch of oh my alternate God, future storylines. Oh, I forgot about that annual. Yeah. Well, at least at least Guy didn't have to. I would to have liked to have seen later. Guy last as long as the pulp themes, though. Yeah, that would have been good. But yeah, he. Well, if I guess we made, should explain to people what we're talking about. Yeah, these are just some of the annuals that I'm going to, you know, after our run of Guy Gardner or the run of Guy Gardner finishes up. There's not much left to do. There's a couple of annuals he did. The first one was Year One, which kind of ties in with the Way of the Warrior storyline. And then the second annual is this Tales of uh, the Dead the Earth. Dead Earth. Which, but back uh, in the 90s, mm-hmm. DC, much like Marvel did, where Marvel would devote all the annuals to tell one big story, DC had annual themes. Each annual tied into a certain theme depending upon the year. Mm-hmm. Uh, the year one storyline, which uh, was the only annual I think that came out during the life of the Guy Gardner Warrior book, was, of course, supposed to tell you a story from the first year of the character's existence. And at that time, that was the first year of Warrior's existence. Yeah. Um, then we had, yeah, the Tales of the Dead Earth. Then we had the Elseworlds ones. And we had one that I think Guy would have been perfect in when he didn't live around, get a, stay around long enough, which was, of course, the, the Pulp Annuals. Oh yeah, I remember that. I remember that one with the uh, Green Lantern issue just being really fun, and it had a really great cover with a sort of, you know, I, I want to say John Carter-esque looking uh, Kyle Rayner on there mm-hmm. doing the sort of. Uh, you know that if Guy Gardner Warrior had stuck around that long, Bo Smith would have done a western. Oh, that would have been so amazing. It would have been Guy Gardner Western Star. It would have been. It would have rocked. But yeah, unfortunately. The writing was on the wall, and you know, I guess sales were going down. And I think, I think because of the, I don't want to blame it on uh, Mitch Bird leaving, and uh, I, I don't know whether Mitch Bird was asked to leave or whether he had something other to do. Mm-hmm. But it, it just the lack of consistency with the book, unfortunately, took it down. But it's not due to the writing, because the writing is just top-notch right. throughout this. I, well, I well, let's, let's put the book in the, in the historical perspective in, in uh, accordance with the comic book uh, industry. The bubble that had artificially started with the death of Superman had burst. Mm-hmm. It had burst really big around the, about this time, uh, to the point where, across the way, Marvel was actually filing for bankruptcy at the time. Yep. To be bought out by the very crazy uh, multimillionaire Ron Lauder, and that's a story for another time. Um, but a lot of books that were started during the boom were canceled. 
and this was one of them. Dark stars were can- was can- I think this is all happened within the space of about like two or three months. Yep. A, a lot of books just got dumped very quickly because they needed to cut down on their production to keep their investment low. So Guy Garner was one of them. Mm-hmm. And and sadly, uh, like I've said, I don't think it's because of the stories. The stories mm-hmm. have been top-notch throughout the entirety of Bo Smith's run. It, it is more to the fact that I think both DC and Marvel at the time overextended themselves and were trying to play to that speculator market and play to that over-the-top sort of 90s feel that just led to some of these stories or some of these books, you know, having to, having to get the chopping block. So, mm-hmm. but yeah, uh, I mean, this was the second big purge. This was based the nineties version of the DC implosion. Mm-hmm. Although for different reasons. Yeah. And we see guy become kind of one of these rudderless characters. He gets stuffed into the justice league for a little bit mm-hmm. before those books go away. He shows up in Superman for a couple of issues, only long enough to get killed off during the world at war. It's it's a crazy time. Yeah. But uh, unfortunately, because of this, I think DC kind of learned their lesson. And I know other podcasters have mentioned this, that after all of the hullabaloo of the 90s and the ridiculous over the top, DC finally came to the idea that it's not so much the dramatic art and the the ridiculous 90s-ness of it. I can't really come up with another word for it. But right. it comes down to writing talent. And they finally yeah. got stories going. And well, we're, know, we're about to enter into a really interesting period in DC's life where they tried to do become the anti-image, if you will. Mm-hmm. And start emphasizing the writer as opposed to the artist. Yeah. And this produces a lot of, sadly, very um, not successful books. I mean, many of these these books, some of the, the best books of, of this period, like Chase and Cronus, only lasted about a year to two years at max. But they were fascinating reads. And they were they were interesting. It was an interesting time to be a comic book fan, a DC comic fan. Well, but uh, dis, uh, despite those books not getting all the recognition that they did, they also got recognition in other ways by bringing in, like, Grant Morrison into the JLA right. and taking that. Uh, bring in, yes, Judd Winnick, you know, who started off as kind of a – well, he started off his career freaking MTV real world, but mm-hmm. brought uh, an interesting take on Green Lantern. Uh, DC emphasized its storytelling – over its stylized art. And I Mm -hmm. think that actually helped define uh, DC during the 90s, or at least during the later half of the 90s. Right. But uh, yeah, these were some amazing issues, and I'm glad that you were here to uh, help me take a look at them. It's always a pleasure, Sean, to hang with you. You know that. I'm I'm glad to be here. Go ahead, and Thomas, and uh, we'll take this out and I'll have you uh, give people where they can find you on the okay. internets. Where, where, where should I, people find me? Um, better in the dark is still going. We're, in fact, we're coming up on our 150th episode real wow. soon. Um, and we now have a Twitter feed so you can follow better in the dark at, at B I T D show. 
you know, see little pithy comments from us. Um, damn your ears, damn your eyes is still going strong. Um, we've got, and yeah, the, the book is, the book should be out sometime in the next couple of months. We're just waiting for a couple more illustrations. Awesome. Then, and there will be, in fact, I don't know how soon we might actually be able to have this on this episode. There's going to be a little audio teaser. I got a bunch of people together and I actually had people read some stuff. Oh, oh, cool. I, it, if it's out by the time that I publish this one, I will, I will include links to it. Definitely. As of this recording, and has actually, I'm just gonna, it's, it's gonna be like a two minute thing for like podcasts to, to do, like just like a podcast promo. Cool. Um, as of this recording, I'm just waiting for the great Kalen Beehive and Conley to score. Neat. So, so yes. Yeah, so by oh oh, that's right. The comic came out. I'm sorry. I should have said something. All-Star Pulp Comics came out, number two, oh, which cool. features a story that I wrote with uh, my good friend Michelle Shudo. And for the next couple of months, all profits go to the Red Cross. Awesome. So that, you buy a comic, you get a little reading material, and you're doing something good for people. That is awesome. Uh, I, I do not have any problem with the Red Cross. They're a wonderful organization, and they do so much to help people all around. Mm-hmm. Awesome stuff. Well, that's that's great, Thomas. Uh, again, uh, you know, I'm so glad to have you back on. I mean, I've had I had like a month of guest host, and I only had a couple episodes come out, you know, with uh, me doing solo. But it's always great to get back with you. And okay. You are welcome anytime on the I, show, sir. Well, I think the next time outside of the Bo Smith interview, the next time we're getting together is to see the other breakup. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and and this time it, it might be a bit more bit more permanent. We will tell you why when we get to that issue. Definitely. But everyone, thanks again for listening. Uh, thanks again for downloading and we will see you next time on another episode of Just One of the Guys, a member of the Two True Freaks family of podcasts. Bye everyone. And once again, you night play. You've been listening to Just One of the Guys, a Green Lantern podcast, hosted by yours truly, Sean Ingle. All images, stories, and music are copyright their respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. This podcast is done solely out of my desire to show the tendencies of the internet that comic books can be fun, humorous, compelling, thought-provoking, and exciting, while not having to fall into the weary tropes of the 1990s. I'm not in any way doing this for monetary gain, which irritates my wife to know it. All feedback for the show can be sent to the show's Gmail account at justoneoftheguyspodcast at gmail.com. All feedback, positive and negative, is warmly welcomed. All spam bots are warmly welcomed, too, as long as your definition of a warm welcome is for them to die horribly in a fire. The website address for the show can be found at the brand new Two True Freaks website, located at twotruefreaks.com. There you can find the RSS feed, as well as scans of the covers and whatever else I feel like putting up. Look for me on iTunes. Just search for Just One of the Guys podcast or search for Two True Freaks, The New Rule 2. And you can subscribe to either the show or Two True Freaks there. You can also search me on Facebook. And now you can actually find me there, as it was a requirement of my new DeMontecourt contract. But it still doesn't mean that I'll be joining your little Mafia Wars group anytime soon. Thanks for downloading and listening, and come back next Friday for another episode of Just One of the Guys, a Green Lantern podcast.
I don't I can't say I've noticed that, but I think I've heard some people talk about that. I think Hope, who does the the mm. the girly show on there, was all <laughs> You know, I love Hope to Death and it's I the girly I, show. It is. In fact I've been watching on uh BBC America. They mm. do these uh monthly retrospectives of the doctor and each month they take a different iteration and uh do a series of his that you know they consider to be really good and uh talk about him and talk about how this Which iteration the colin baker one is going to be just a blank screen for about 95 <laughs> minutes that's coming up that should be coming up uh this month i think because don't be surprised if it's vengeance because that's probably the only one everyone kind of agrees on is really? my just mildly odious as opposed to wholly odious what is it the cyberman episode with uh neil gaiman was okay it was really kind of a showcase for um oh what's his name warwick davis warwick davis was in it and he actually got to act in this and he really hasn't acted in a film since really since willow and he's actually really good at it i think uh let's not forget leprechaun or Leprechaun in Da Hood. The Hood. <laughs> and Leprechaun Return to Da Hood. <laughs> <laughs> Leprechaun in Space. <laughs> oh, God. Christ. Poor Warwick Davis.